0: what are you looking for? And you go, stuff, I don't know. So we're trying to figure out how you can have a moment of discovery, kind of finding different pathways because not everybody thinks the same about how they're gonna get to an object they might be interested in, that you can create those pathways. So, you know, it's trying to get past that mental cloud of like, I. what'd you see at the art fair today? Stuff, you know? It's how, how do you make a more concrete sort of sticky memory about things?
1: welcome to the artelligence podcast live arts look behind the scenes at how the global art market really works i'm your host marion manneker this podcast is brought to you by live art the global art marketplace that puts you in control Download the LiveArt app to get all of the most relevant art market information, as well as access to exclusive private sales, or visit us at liveart.io. LiveArt is a platform for providing transparency to the art market. Our app gives users access to live auctions, in-depth analysis, and historical price data for artworks. It is also a peer-to-peer trading platform. In this episode, we speak to George O'Dell, who heads sales at LiveArt, and his colleague, Kelly Kahn, about their views of the current art market. We also take a little time to talk through how sales work on the LiveArt platform. I hope you'll enjoy it. thank you for taking the time to talk to me about uh, live art. But before we talk about the platform and how it works, I wanted to get a sense from you. We we had one of the wildest years in the art market in 2021. Uh, people went away to uh, ski or warm climates and things are beginning to start up again. So I wanted to get a sense. You've been talking to uh, buyers and sellers over the last uh, several weeks. I wanted to get a sense from each of you sort of where you see the market, uh, you know, what you think the, you know, there's been some change in the capital markets that may affect the, uh, these things sort of, you know, what's what's the state of play early in 2022?
0: I think, you know, that that question about people going to sunny, sunny or snowy places and, and being outside of the traditional markets, you know, for years we've talked about the art market being a global market. And now I actually think it is a truly global market. You know, with the with everything having to go online and be remote, people have learned how to interact, engage, trade, talk, discuss, and it doesn't need to happen over coffee on Madison Avenue. It doesn't need to happen during an art fair. It can happen over a phone call, over a Zoom, over a peer to peer marketplace, as we are introducing into into the art contemporary art ecosystem. So I think in 2021 and 2022, we truly began what is a global market. You don't necessarily need to be in the tri-state. You don't necessarily need to be in Hong Kong, London. You can do things from afar. Yes, those hubs remain important and travel does remain important, but I think further people can be engaged with art, look at art, then decide to travel for pleasure and see art, but also in the business of art, do it from afar whilst doing other things.
1: So what are the triggers for that? I mean, it it used to be either an art fair or a gallery exhibition. We know a lot of it takes place socially. People go to someone else's home for an event or whatever, but now it's, is it Instagram? Is it other things?
2: I think people are gathering a lot of information from social media, from Instagram. You have artists like Jordy Kerwick who have developed huge followings. And, you know, you have a lot of clients coming to us saying that they found artists via Instagram, you know, that may or may not be represented by major galleries, but the way they're accessing that information is not necessarily the way they used to by walking into an art fair or walking into a gallery. They're seeing that information on, you know, Influencer accounts or you know, they suggested posts things like that,
1: but they come to you not to like, you know dm the uh, Artist on Instagram or they come to you after they dm'd and got told nothing, There's nothing for sale
0: I think it's bo- both of those mm-hmm. answers are correct Um and part of that too. It's you know art art is a, is a want not a need and there's a consumer mindset to getting to things first discovery and you can probably trace the origin of where we are today back to the point of PDFs for art fairs going out in advance. You know, there's a moment where you walked into a major fair, Basel, Basel, you know, whatever it might be, and nothing uh, is really available. It's all gone. You know, you're just there to say, "Yeah, I'll take that." Oh, I want the first reserve on this. And what happens in the background is this kind of secondary horse trading market. You know, with the push for s- auctions going online. You know, I can remember during my tenure at the auction houses, in the back of a day sale, you'd have all dealers and collectors who are dealer-minded, trading information, selling to one another. There's sort of this tertiary market around the market, like a true marketplace. And so with everybody being separate from each other, but still seeking that conversation, that advice, you have this movement of information, ideas, advice, and then, you know, ultimately exchanges of artwork and money. So...
1: I've always thought that the day sales were the most like the old 17th century Dutch coffee houses, you know, with, with a, a main event, but as, as much din taking place around the edges. And...
0: That, the social sport of that was like one of my favorite things to be a part of. And,
1: and do you think that's going to go away? Or is that, that diminished now that there's more more things are happening on social media, more things are happening on, you know, a peer-to-peer marketplace like live art?
0: I, I, it's, it's an evolution of where that conversation takes place. You know, now it's in private WhatsApp channels, it's across peer-to-peer marketplaces, you know, it's collectors have always tried to trade amongst themselves, the direct, you know, path of least resistance to finding who wants the thing that you would like to sell or who has the thing that you would like to buy, Um, and thus is born the dealer culture because that is the ultimate gatekeeper there, and with technology comes changes to where those gatekeepers lie and who ultimately is the gatekeeper, so... No, it's, it's just the changing nature of where the conversation flows.
1: And no one ever wants to buy the thing that's for sale. They always want the thing that they can't get a hold of. 100%. The
0: thing that's not available, absolutely.
2: <laughs>
1: and, and on the uh, buyer side, uh, what drives that with with people coming to you? uh, you know, is it that they've, the, the frustration there, they're sort of tried a couple of routes and they basically say, Kelly, you know, what can you do for me? How, how do I get a Jordy Ker- Kerwick? Cause I can't find one that I like, or I can't find one that I think is the right price.
2: Right. Lack, lack of access for whatever reason, you know, tends to be what drives people. Um, you know, if they can't get a work from the gallery show, if they, you know, were outbid at auction, but they're still active at the same level, um, you know, kind of all sorts of reasons or, you know, they, the work that got away, but they're still very interested in that series that sold two years ago, and maybe they weren't ready to buy at that time.
0: And also, what's, what's the motivation for the acquisition, the adding to the collection, and where they are in the collecting journey? Not everybody's going to be in a position where you know, the artist they love is going to come at the price of acquiring an entire gallery's program. You know, and almost nor should it, you know, why, why should another artist's work be the consolation prize to get to the thing that you want? Sure, patronage is very important, and it's a long-standing part of art, but at the same time, people want to be decisive with how they spend to get the thing that they ultimately really want. And if that means going to the secondary market and jumping the queue to find that thing rather than... Buying one to donate one, or like I said, absorbing a bunch of a program that ultimately isn't really of interest that might actually ultimately end up on the market, a secondary market in a more diminished market than the thing that they really want. You know, this is, these are the triggers that have people come into the secondary market to come to people like Kelly and myself. Um, in the, you know, live art market provides a chance to go direct so that they know at the end of the day that the offers. That they might make across live art market are getting to the end user. They're not being watered down through a series of intermediaries. You know, the nasty word of a runner. Any kind of any kind of dissolution of their offer is negated by the fact that it's a peer to peer
2: The daisy chain. I think you know really frustrates a lot of people, and I think a lot of people have experienced that without even realizing at the time, only to you know have dinner. You know, a year later, and realize that they were never
1: as direct as they thought they were. Yeah, you know, there is a um, there was a court case a number of years ago where someone was being interviewed about an art transaction, and the judge was asking the person uh, uh, on the stand, and so and so that person you were talking to was the seller. Oh no, no, no there was another person behind it. So that person, was, no, 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 there was another person behind them. And the judge was just looking at it like, how do you people function?
0: <laughs> many walls of opacity.
1: <laughs> so how how do you think things are going in terms of where tastes are? I mean, what was so interesting about the last year is the top of the market did well with uh, the big uh, collections. The bottom of the market was doing well with uh, people buying all sorts of emerging uh, artists and all. It's sort of rare to see uh, the art market firing on all cylinders uh, that way. And I know there's, you know, we still have a lot of interest in uh, figurative work. We still have a lot of interest in uh, African diaspora uh, painters and all, but we also seem to have interest in a lot more uh, artists of a broader range. Are, are there any sort of themes that you are, you know, are there historical artists who are coming back or being rediscovered artists who you know didn't quite get their due in their, their time, or is it really just artist by artist?
2: I think it's a little bit of all of those things. You know, there's a lot of artists that we're rediscovering. There's a lot of you know, desire to go back and find these artists that never quite had their due. Um, at the same time, you know, we, we've seen such a huge moment for figuration, um, but artists like Cecily Brown and um, that sort of abstraction is still as strong as ever, and interest is only growing.
0: Yeah, you, know, you know, before it was like a pendulum swing. I can remember a few years ago when it was who's the second tier of the zero movement that's come that needs to come to light, right? It's the Dada Minos and the sketches and everything else that was populating the European sales. And then we moved to the lesser known sides of the color field movement, Enter Sam Gilliam, inter Alma Thomas. Um, and now I think we've kind of moved to there's so many people engaged in the conversation of art of the 20th and 21st century that people are just looking for what motivates them. And that comes with different levels of seeing, different levels of education. and. None of it's right or wrong. Everyone has an opinion as to what it is, but it's also fueling kind of a many, like a hydra of people going in many different directions. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what where the next turn goes and what that looks like. You know, we've been through, you know, corrections in the 90s, in the early 2000s at the time of the last recession. There was the clearing of the contempor- younger contemporary sort of macho male MFA graduate in 2013, 2014. And now we seem to be at this place where all these pillars of collecting are being knocked down, and you can find a Geordie Kerwick down the hall in a home next to a Lucio, Lucio Fontana, and that's not weird at all anymore. So you know, part of it might be just a kind of scattered gun thesis, no non-thesis approach to collecting. Yeah. And part of it might just be people going, you know what, in this pandemic life, you only have one life, collect what you want to collect, and who cares why that is that you collect it. Totally.
1: And do you think people are trading more than they used to if if there's an eclecticism and a sense of like uh, 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 love the one you're with you know I, I like this now I'm gonna ha- have it I don't need to like build a certain type of collection but there also feels like there's a little more interest in sort of I've had that for a while I'm ready to move on
0: I, I think it's, there's a more educated there's an emerging class and I'm gonna borrow a line from an interview you you just gave um, somewhere between flipper and collector is a new class called like a rising merchant class almost called the art buyer they're not quite a collector yet but they're not actively flipping everything they're learning to live with what they love but they're acquiring a lot you know maybe that's a lot of financial misfires maybe that's a lot of financial hits but they are it's a group that is learning to live with art, learning what it means to be a collector, but they might not be into that capital C collector world yet. I'm not trying to be disparaging, but I think it's a it's an evolution of how you engage with buying buying art, living with art, and managing a collection because it is, you know, collection management's a financial burden to a certain extent.
1: More than a certain extent. It's one, it's one of the hidden costs that no one ever... Right, they don't uh, tell you about
0: it when you drive it off the but, lot.
1: And and the bigger your collection gets, the, the the storage bill or the thing you need to build to show it, show it off. I, I my only guess is that you know you were saying this earlier about you know the buying the program and all so much art collecting used to be about going to the gallery dinner being uh, going to the artist studio getting closer to the artist and it feels like and maybe this is just because of the pandemic it's more now about being connected to other collectors through transactions or owning similar things that other people do, do. and and it's really a a kind of social art market more than it is uh, a, about you know um Patronage or being connected
0: to art. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like a personal salon, right? You you are at your apartment. Someone comes around. They admire a picture. They say, "Oh, you should see the picture I have." And then you go see it. And what's next to that picture? Now you're interested in that. Next comes the introduction to try to find one for yourself. And that might be the gallerist on the primary level. That might be the artist's studio, even you know, depending on how young the artist is. Or it might be that person's connections at. Live Art, Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips—you know, some secondary dealer, whatever it may be.
1: So if I if I come to Live Art uh, looking for something, either I'm browsing the marketplace uh and and see a work that i'm interested in or i want to get in touch with either of you what what's the process how does it does it better that i'm on the uh, uh know what i'm looking for or is it better that i just sort of look for something and then i sort of get in touch when i see the thing i want
2: it works both ways you can log on to the app and you can see a selection of what we have you can reach out and inquire on any of the works if you see something and you're ready to make an offer you can do that directly to the owner and they can say yes or no um, but we also have a number of people that reach out and just say, "Here's a list of artists that we're interested in. Can you let us know when you get anything in?" Um, sometimes people want a more active approach, and they say, "I'm looking for work by so and so. Can you go out and actively source that work?"
0: And part of it too is, you know, Live Art starts as a data company. So our base level audience are people who are interested in the data of what's occurring in the art market. You know, that's where Live Art was born from—was tracking auctions in real time and i think that's grown and you know your your editorial has put color around sort of movements and things that are happening and at the end of the day we we the people behind live art are also active collectors engaged in the market in conversations and very happy to share that information to help people you know we don't come out to say we're advisors but make more informed decisions you know the data set informs you on one level putting color around that, putting some information behind it, rounds out what that data could be telling you to help you make an informed decision. You know, the the general goal of live art, going back to the idea, are there more traders in the market, is elevating the collector to understand what the shifts, movements, financial values of their collection could be to make those more informed decisions. You know, is it worth selling this now because my taste has changed? Like, will I get a you know, nice return that will help me move into something else, or, you know, did I buy this and now it's worth pennies on the dollar compared to what I paid for it, and what's what's my exit strategy, or how do I, you know, manage, trim, emerge a collection? Because, you know, collections that, one, collections have to start, but then, two, collections that don't change are museums. They're actually mausoleums. You know, that's, that's the archive, and, you know, there's plenty of books written by, you know, thinkers and artists alike about the idea of the collection as an organic, extension of the creative output of the artists that are in that collection.
1: Uh, Richard Prince once said in an interview, uh, there's as many good collectors as there are artists, which is to say, not as many as you think, Uh, you know, (laughs) there's, it it takes a lot more and it's always open-ended. I think this idea that it's, you know, easy or finished or that an advisor can do it for you, you know, it's, it's that it's a, an advisors like a decorator uh, kind of misses what's absorbing and uh, exciting about being a part of this. And I think one of the other things you, you're, you're trying to say is, in many ways, the platform is meant to be the advisor. It's not a substitute, but it is gives tools that an advisor would use. In fact, we're we're encouraging advisors to to use the tools uh, yeah. as best they can.
0: Speak our language, and also if you know, collectors working with advisors are using that language, the start of that that professional conversation you're engaging in starts at a higher level. You know, it starts at a more informed level on both sides. So you can probably get down deeper. You know, what is the, you know, sort of traditional or stereotypical advisor run around Chelsea on a Saturday afternoon activity? Well, wouldn't that be better if you came in, you know, well-read, well-informed, at least on recent market changes, you know, not having to digest every single article, but you have a generally good idea of how things are going. So then you can not have to think about that so much and just Assess the picture that you're standing in front of,
1: and and the you have access to historical data that you can slice and dice many different ways to give yourself a sense of you know what's going on in any individual artist mark.
0: And the fact that it's on your phone means you can do it right there. It's the reference point right in front of you, no matter where you are, as long as you've got five G.
1: Now let's go back to the the selling process because. Uh, it's not just about being connected from buyer to seller. It's we handle the transaction for you. Can you just describe what happens? I mean, the, I suppose we should first point out that there is a, is a onboarding pro- process where uh, buyers have to be vetted and uh, verified, and then uh, uh, the transactions can take place. So can you just describe that process?
2: Sure. So when someone wants to sell with us, we KYC verify them. Uh, so we get a copy of, you know, financial documents, past invoices, uh, a copy of their license or passport. And um, and then they send us details of their artwork. We, you know, talk about pricing. We come to an agreement on what we think the correct retail price is. We take a flat 10% on any sales over $25,000. Uh, for any prices under $25,000, we add $1,500 to the buyer's end. Um, but then, you know, once we've agreed on a price, we list the work. If um, if we have interest, we go to them with any offers. When we have a deal in place and money in escrow, we have the seller ship the work to Delaware, um, where we have the work condition checked. And the buyer gets a copy of the condition report. They okay it before any of the funds are released to the seller. And once everything's okay, then the work is released to the buyer. So it's fairly straightforward. It protects everybody, both the buyer and the seller. We want to make sure that, you know, the works that we're getting are in the condition that, you know, they're promised to be in, that everything's in good condition. And, um, you know, in that way, everybody kind of agrees and, and has all the information in front of them.
1: And the anonymity becomes a feature. It, it it It's easier for the buyer and the seller having an intermediary who takes care of some of the risk a- aspects of the uh, uh, transaction to, to know and have confidence that. And, and uh, if there are problems with the deal, that it gets reconciled through, uh, through live art?
0: We we can, we intermediate. Um, technically, buyer and seller are in contract with one another, um, which is standard of any actual, if people read through an auction contract, it's exactly the same, um, especially in Europe. So buyer and seller are in contract with each other, try to make sure everything goes as smoothly as possible, not, you know, not 100% of the time anywhere in the industry. Let's just, you know, speak fairly about that. Um, but we do our best to in, intermediate and solve issues as they arise.
1: Uh, and, and let's talk a little bit about where the art is coming from. Who, who's listing as uh, sellers on, on uh, the platform? What types of uh, uh, sellers are there?
2: Mostly private collectors. A lot of these works are things that you know, people have had in their collections that they're thinking about deaccessioning. Um, you know, we're working with estates on selling things. Um, you know, we work with trade sellers on, on individual works as well.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an, a healthy mix and a full snapshot of the art world. You know, it's, tr- it's trade of all stripes in private collections in the States, as, as Kelly mentioned. You know, and that's, that's the real reality of it. The, the difference is, you know, unlike other listing sites, things are private. So people who want to come look at them have to go through our vetting process. And likewise, the art has to go through the same vetting process, but everything is kept anonymous. Um, So while you are dealing directly with the seller or with the buyer, depending on which side you're on, it it is completely anonymous.
1: Well, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about runners. I mean, the the process is meant to winnow out all of the people looking for information, you know, doing anything but actually buying. And the more we can make it possible for people to be able to have a, a a likely buyer and a likely seller actually engage with each other it cuts down the number of times that they have to deal with someone who there might be any sort of question around yeah. we
0: we we engage with all sides of the market and we're very thorough in asking those upfront questions about where things are going and we try to when questions come from our sellers or our buyers about the other side try to be as, most, as forthright as we possibly can without giving away privacy, so that you, depending on which side you're on, have a good understanding of what's, gonna, what's going to happen with your image and the details of the work.
1: And a lot of this material is just, you know, there are people, either they're collectors or trade sellers, but there's a lot of material out there that is not necessarily for sale unless there's interest. And that's part of what the platform is there for, is to be able to follow interest when People begin being interested in Etel Adnan, or there are auction sales, and there are frustrated buyers who didn't get the work. But you know, we know of, or we can help them find a work that is a you know good, not a substitute, but a comparable work that maybe
0: totally. And nothing, nothing beats discovery. And I, before saying that, I was thinking part of it too is there's the classic thing: somebody you sit down. I remember this from past lives in the art world. Says, what are you looking for? And you go. Psst. Stuff. I don't know. So we're trying to figure out how you can have a moment of discovery. You can look for the thing that you're specifically looking for, at least the artist that you're specifically looking for, or you might be more fluidly looking by genre or type or just kind of finding different pathways because not everybody thinks the same about how they're going to get to an object they might be interested in, that you can create those pathways. So. You know, it's trying to get past that mental cloud of like, I, what did you see at the art fair today? S- stuff. You know, it's how, how do you make a more concrete, sort of sticky memory about things? Um, you know, and I think in, in time we'll see live art evolve into a place where, you know, we're not just facilitating the seller being able to show what they are looking to, to move onwards, but also allow buyers to come in and say, Hey, I'd really like to find this, which could maybe spark that, get past that mental cloud and say, Oh, I've got one of those. And it's just in a box. And I, you know what? I'd be actually very happy to sell that and like get a conversation going that way too.
1: Yeah, or that, that feeling of uh, I, I have this thing, I like this th- thing, but if you really wanted it, I'd be just happy to see someone else be happy with it uh, uh, too. It's not necessarily stuff sitting in a crate in storage. It's
0: not remaining in my capital C collection, so I'm going to put my art buyer hat on and I'm going to see that out the door. You know, I think, you know, a big, a big thing that comes up is like, is, is live art trying to take over the dealer world and things like that? And I, I actually don't think so, and I think it's more of a symbiotic relationship the way that i view it is what can be happening in a live art marketplace can inform what happens at coffee on madison avenue can have, inform what happens in an art fair while visiting galleries and vice versa you know those those two things can operate together more than separate you know they don't need to be siloed away from each other and it's it's more moving you know i don't think it's about the metaverse or anything like that it's about the sort of expanded nature of the market and where you go to find things. And I think the more that live art becomes that central place of data, being able to find things, a hub in the art world, I think is really exciting.
1: I think that's an important point, right? The the high touch work of dealing with clients, which you two do at live art, but the, the goal is for live art to grow and the platform to expand, to amplify what you do, but not keep adding more bodies to do do that, we would just uh, soon see art advisors and dealers uh, and and collectors themselves do that themselves on the platform so that that there's a, a way for it to expand.
0: You know, art is special, and all types of art are special, and were special when they were acquired by different people. And as we said earlier in this conversation, collections evolve and things change. And the fact of the matter is there's going to be more art today than there was yesterday and the same will be true again tomorrow and i've said it a bunch of times and i you know there's not another auction you can put in the calendar be it online they're all online now except for the big ones but there's just there's no more space right so there's got to be places for trade to occur outside the traditional channels and really as you know adam chin even said early on it's expanding the pie and expanding where those conversations can take place.
2: And I think it's a really nice complement to the existing structures. You know, I think when you have a work to sell, you have your options of, you know, you can go and sell it at an auction house where you kind of have a, you know, a few weeks print to the auction where it's, you know, you're kind of relying a lot on chance and whether or not the right buyer is going to stand in front of it and pay the right price and whether or not they're going to be bidding against somebody who's willing to bid that up. Um, you know, at the same time, you could go back to the gallery where you bought it but a lot of times, you know, they're prioritizing their primary market material. You know, they're not going to put their best secondary market material in a fair booth, and they're not necessarily going to, you know, that's never going to be seen in an exhibition. And so I think there's a lot of room for what we're doing. And, um, you know, it really presents sellers with a unique opportunity that wasn't being met.
1: It's the matchmaking of finding someone who's going to be excited about this thing, as excited as you, you were, not someone who feels like, oh, yeah, I, I made a promise I'd bite it back from you, so I guess I have to do, do that. Or, sure, we can shove that as uh, Lot 287 you know, in between six other lots that look a lot like it, and maybe some of those guys in the back wall. Well, we will want to pick it up for cheap at all.
2: Totally. So it's, it's kind of about getting the exposure while also kind of mitigating risk. You know, it's not, you're not burning the work at
1: auction. And we're primarily talking about the kinds of, you know, we keep using the detail as an example because this is the level of work we're talking about, things from 50000 to uh, what level?
0: Like up to a million and just above, you know, that proper real middle market. You know the average sale value on live art right now is around $100,000, um, and that's trending upwards. Where in Q2 was about $75,000. You know, and that's that seems to be where the middle market has settled into um, in recent years. That's not to say that there aren't great things to buy below fifty thousand dollars, or you know, in the ten thousand dollars.
1: And 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 you've sold numerous things in the three, four, five hundred thousand dollars. Correct. And today
0: we sold something for eleven thousand (laughs) dollars. So you know, it (laughs) balances out. It's all it's all in the mix. Uh, but the,
1: the 11000 is because you, you can make that contact in the sale. You're doing that to make uh, uh, a buyer and seller happy. The platform's not going to live or die on those no. kinds of uh, things at all.
0: But these are the, you know, these are the sales that collectors also, you know if they're just starting out, this might be where their budget really is and what they can really afford to put on their wall for a while. And then taste change, you know, needs change, and it's time to sell that object. Uh, and likewise, somebody wants to buy in. Then you know maybe they missed their opportunity when it was three grand on the primary market, but they still want the artist. Um, and that's that's a that's a service and a value proposition that Live Art offers because you are handling it direct. You know, and the work isn't having to move until it's sold. Lowering those touch points and all that cost means that we can offer service at that level where you know bigger brokerage, bigger houses need the bigger transaction values to justify existence whereas you know a, a sale at you know, ten to fifteen thousand dollars would normally say what's my motivation for getting that done right now beyond client service why don't we just toss it into an auction and, you know, fingers crossed so for the best.
1: And I suppose we should mention there is a feature on the platform where you can upload the details of works that you own. So one, you can track the value of them using our uh, artificial intelligence a- estimator. You get a, a decent sense of what the sort of present day value is, but it's also a way for you to have that optionality if you see things going or we have a, a wish list come towards you for you to make a decision if you want to make it Available, it's not visible otherwise in any way. It's your choice to to do that, but it's far less than having to start from scratch and say, "Gee, maybe how do I list this to tomorrow?" It's already listed in there, which is not that different from being pre-qualified and vetted uh, to to buy something. Once you've done that, it makes it easier to make a transaction.
0: And it, and that's to say too, it's all that information is private. It's yours. It's not for us to see until you say, "Hey, could you take a look at this?" And the other part of that, you know, and this goes back to kind of expanding the pie is there are things which ultimately are probably better placed back with a gallerist. You're probably going to get someone who can really tell that narrative of that artwork and really wax poetic about it and get the sale done for you. And at the same time, there's probably things where if you are completely money motivated and don't care about relationships, like go to auction with it, you are going to have a payday. So, and and it's naive to think that all things should come to live art, or all things should go to auction, or all things should go back to a gallery or a dealer. You know, It's all in the mix and all in the soup, and what's right one day might not be correct the next day. So it's, it's about being, as, as a consumer, as a collector, it's about being as informed as you possibly can to make the best possible choice that you can. I think you know, Kelly is very adept at making a, a good sale and getting people engaged and loving, loving a new discovery, and that, you know, and I'd love to see all of her property go her way, but at the same time, you know, not everything. Not everything will, and nor should everything. So,
1: and and eventually, also, we want to build confidence. Like right? the, the more people deal with you two individually and are comfortable with how we do business and the platform, there will come a point where they don't necessarily need you to push the button and make a deal. And the more we can sort of make that possible for both sides of the equation to meet, then everyone gets a a, a, a better transaction at a faster pace on their own time. Yeah.
0: Uh, this peer-to-peer for me was born out of, you know, I'd get a phone call from a collector and they'd say, Hey, what do you think of this? And
1: say, oh, it's
0: good. Like, what's, what's the story? And they say, Oh, I'm being offered it at this price. And I'm like, That's a good price. Uh, are you going to do it? And they think, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then you check in a couple weeks later and say, did you, did you get it? Do you have it at home? Like love to come see it. And they say, Oh no, like I didn't trust, wiring off that money something like i didn't know if it was actually gonna get sent to me that trust issue like live art looks to bake that trust in and we are here to, you know if you have somebody who's made an offer like, you want to check and like see if that's a fair offer and like go over the data a bit like we can do that you know you don't have to sit at home you know staring into the abyss of green and red lines and, you know, Marion's tomes on all the market market movements. Like you can ask a question. That's why we are the humans behind this, you know, and we come from gallery and advisory and auction and years of experience, you know, in different facets of the contemporary art world. So ask a question. Yeah. You need, you need referral to a third party advisor. We know a bunch. We do this great interview series with them as well. You know, like Meet these people, talk to them. This is this is this is your passion project. Maybe it's like a side little investment thing for you. There are other people who work in your passion project, so talk to them.
2: One other thing to mention is that you know when people list with us, they have the option to list publicly. Do we mention this? Mm -hmm. They have the option to list publicly, or they can list privately, where it'll just show um, people on the app a grid of images, and you know it won't show the exact image, but people can inquire and get specific information if they're approved. Um, we also do a number of offline deals too. So if people want to sell something that, you know, they prefer never see the day, we're happy to work with those too.
1: So I think that that gets back to the point of, you know, we are a technology company. We're building all sorts of uh, software to make these things eventually turn into a, a process. But until then, we have experienced people in the art market who can say, it, you can tell what you're looking for. They can say, yeah, that's pretty close to what you're looking for. For you know, If you can settle on a price, you'll probably be happy with it. makes it more of a chance that you will actually engage in that um, conversation. There's some people who want to say, here's the work, this is w- w- what it is, and uh, people want to buy it. Others want don't want it to be burned, and that's why we've created a, a way to do that. I suspect as time goes on and more people work through our platform, we will have better indications of the kind of software to build to make that work even better for, for them uh, and, and eventually make it possible you know, for the medium of.
0: Going back to the beginning of the conversation and what Kelly's talking about, public, private, and offline traditional private sales, I think that is part of what the changing nature of the art world conversation has become. I can remember when I was first head of like a day sale you know, you kind of go live with the catalog and then you'd expect the phone to start ringing and people say, Hey, send me condition reports on these 10 things. And you'd kind of whittle down their list as you got towards the auction and what they were actually bidding on. And you sort of knew who was going to ask for condition reports and stuff. Enter the dawn of, you know, self service over the websites. And all you'd know is that somebody looked at a condition report or requested it through a portal. And now with online bidding and, you know, they'll, the most, you know, change of the art world. People don't even want you to call them. They just, they're going to do it themselves. They might tell you if they're going to come in and look at it in person. But other than that, you know, it's a, you know, some people want self-service. Here are my tools. I can make my decisions. I'll call you if there's a problem, but otherwise I'm good. And there are other people who want to come in, have a glass of champagne, have the chat, you know, look at the thing, wax poetic about it.
1: Sell me, sell me on this. Yeah, Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. So, Every, all those things and everything in between is the art world, and we just add a tool across, as we said, between public, here's my thing, I would, someone's going to come along and buy it. Private, I want someone who's really keen to look at this, and I want a good hit rate of anyone who asks about it as a truly interested client to offline, hey, if you know somebody who's interested in this, why don't you give them a call?
1: No, I think that maybe the, the best place to um, sort of end is, The online bidding has been around for quite some time. It took a long time for people to get comfortable with it. Will it work? (laughs) Will they see my bid? You know, and then certainly in the last two years with the pandemic, it went from uh, maybe I'll try it to in many ways becoming a necessity because people either couldn't show up for the room or everything was in that format. It was easier. And so it makes sense for having that behavior become ingrained and comfortable to extend it to different aspects of uh, transactions because not everything's uh, an auction.
0: If you, can do, if you can do online bidding in an auction, why can't you do online private sales? you can do online viewing rooms and gallery presentations, why can't you do the same in a private sale?
1: And, and the art world has been selling, you know, this whole thing about the art world not being online, people have been selling art via emailed JPEGs for 20 years now, totally. since the Blackberries came
0: in. Yeah, as soon as you could send a PDF with JPEGs on it, there you go, Yeah, you know, we're off to the races.
1: Well, thank you both for taking the time with this. I think it's helpful for people who don't understand uh, how live art works to get a better sense of, of it. We, I've certainly learned a little. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us at the Intelligence Podcast, edited by Colin Ketchin, who also composed the original music. For more episodes, listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to download the LiveArt app or visit us at liveart.io. Please join us for the next episode of the Intelligence Podcast. We're looking forward to it.